for Seth. No milk, no sugar. Right here. Thank you. No Milk, No Sugar, the podcast about business beneath the sweetener. Powered by Morales Group and hosted by CEO Seth Morales, we talk to local movers and shakers about what can be the harsh reality of doing business. We cover what no one likes to advertise, but everyone wants to hear. I'm Tori, producer of the show, and today we talk to Juan Gonzalez, president of KeyBank Central Indiana, about the state of the 2021 economy, what the future has in store post-COVID, and what this means for business leaders. You look good, man. You look very stately. You got your, do you have your key bank pen on your lapel? You look Always close, close to my heart. I love it, man. Hey, uh, today I, I want you to feel like, you know, you and I are at uh, Hubbard and Cravens at 49th and Penn or Pat at you grabbing a coffee. You, you can be yourself. Uh, today we're going to get into the economy and your role and just a little bit about uh, what, what's going on and get some insight from you. You're, you're a busy man. You keep uh, active networking. You're running the the market as the president of Key Bank here in the state of Indiana. So you got some responsibility. Remind me again. I said five boards on LinkedIn, but what do you? Is it like ten boards? How many boards are you on? Yeah, it's, it's way too many. I think officially there's seven. Uh, but uh, but yeah, I mean it's crazy. But hey, look, uh, you know this better than I do. There is nothing better than giving back a little bit of time to to help others, and you know. I was very fortunate. I've been very fortunate all my life. My life and my parents were very community-driven growing up in Colombia. So, so it's almost like part of my DNA, right? Uh, to give back and help others. Kind of like what your dad. I mean, I remember when I met your dad for the first time, you know, uh, and 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 the dreams that he was forming a company, but also what he was doing with the community already while trying to grow a company, while trying to grow a family. Uh, all of you guys, I think you guys are five kids, right? And um, trying to make sure that everyone going in the right direction. I, it's just fascinating. So, so uh, it's, it's, it's something that I'm passionate about it. Uh, I do, I do tell you something that you know very well, which is trying to find that life balance kind of thing, you know, because it takes time away from your family. But if you do it the right way, uh, you can combine both and, uh, and actually introduce your kids to the same kind of thing that I was introduced when I was a kid. So uh, I'm looking forward to that. Yeah. Now you're doing a great job, man. I think as a, as a father, uh, of three, is that correct? Is it three? three. Yeah. Yep. And, and, and Sheila, a dynamic partner, uh, of yours that is, is pretty savvy in her own right. She gives you a run for the money, but you, you just have done a great job of giving back to the community, serving on boards, um, stepping up as a leader. I know you're, we'll do a little bit of context at the beginning to introduce you on the show, but, um, Butler MBA grad and, um, came over here and, uh, several years back, man, but you've really kind of made Indy your, your, your new hometown. And you've been in the banking industry for a long time. You were with another bank. Then you had this opportunity to jump over and be a leader in this market, which is a really big deal. So, you know, today I thought um, it'd be awesome just to kind of get some, some just context from you with what's going on right now in the, in the market and the economy. Um, you, you see a lot of deals, you understand a lot of different sectors. Um, there's a lot of incentives being tossed out, uh, which are good and bad to some people. It's hard to find labor. We're going to get into that later. I got a couple questions there, but if you were to give me just a quick, like no bullshit back of the napkin, this is what's going on. Like, 
for our listeners today? What, what would you say is, is going on right now with the market? No, I mean, I, I, I tell you, it's been a great year for the economy. Um, you know, the, uh, the recovery from, from the pandemic has been real. Uh, I think the, uh, the vaccines uh, are working very well. Unfortunately, we're still having some issues today with, with the Delta variant and, and some people not getting vaccinated. So ideally, people get vaccinated in a few months and, and we can kind of move over this. But um, economic growth has been uh, incredible. I think they're expecting 6 to 7% growth for the full year. Uh, with, with taking in mind that in the first six months, it was like 9 to 10% growth. And the second half, it has kind of like normalized more to probably that 4, 4 to 5%. Uh, but the average for the year, I mean, 7% for a country like the United States is, is, is incredible, right? Like, if you think about if we were to grow 25 3% every year, that would be awesome. Because right? we're, we're a country of 300 million people now. Um, so to think about 7% uh, is just making up so much from last year. And with an economy that is pretty much fully open, but not a full steam yet, uh, because the service industry is still dealing with some of the backlog and, and the issues with labor that we're going to talk about later. But two, inventory and, you know, some of the materials and, uh, you know, the, 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 the issue with computers and cars and all that that we have faced this year, that it was real. Uh, and the backlogs at the ports, uh, moving material. So, uh, but I think people should be excited, man. I'm telling you, the, the, the economy is not only good, but the projections are pretty healthy. Uh, with, uh, especially with the infrastructure bill that was passed by the Senate, we're waiting for the House to take action. But ideally, they get to an agreement. They get it through, through in front of the president. And that's another trillion dollars of growth grow that is going to be injected into this economy for many years to come. No, that's great to hear. You know, when you tossed out that uh, GDP growth number, that, that's really encouraging. You know, we, we haven't seen that on our side. We've seen the demand um, with a lot of need for, for talent and people. Um, but you're right. There, there are a lot of different sectors that are really uh, picking up pace. Who would you say um, is in a good spot right now? If you were to say a couple verticals or sectors that, that are doing really well, anything kind of stick out right now? You know, logistics is doing extremely well. Uh, uh, and I know that's a big umbrella, but, but, but just the term logistics, uh, which is basically moving, moving things around is, is significant. Um, and I tell you, uh, construction, the construction industry, uh, uh, hasn't slowed down to be honest much. Uh, again, labor is an issue. They need more people, but, um, uh, try to build something today. It's going to take you a while to get somebody to come in and give you not only a bid, but to find the materials to be able to get it going. So you're seeing on the consumer side and the commercial side, quite a bit of construction going on, despite the fact that we were all afraid of what the real estate market was going to do with people working from home and things like that. At some point, we'll feel some of that effect, but so far, uh, construction continues to go in the right direction as well. What about just you as a leader over a lot of teammates here in, in the Indiana market, uh, an executive for Key Bank? There's a lot of responsibility in, in, in going through what we went through last year with the pandemic and whether you had customers that were defaulting on loans or getting close, like and it was PPP money. What was the toughest part of your job, man? Being in your seat, you had a lot of people that you were responsible for. There's a lot of money out there, you know, maybe not performing as well. Like, give me, give me some flavor for, you know, being in the hot seat as president. Yeah, no, I, 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 I answered that question two ways. One, uh, the personal side of, of being a, a CEO that I know you deal with this daily. 
which is they're looking at you for guidance, uh, for that kind of like positive, positive attitude, communication, messaging. And uh, the first few months were difficult uh, when nobody knew what was coming up, but I needed to make sure that they knew that we were here for them, that the bank was going to be here for them, um, that we were going to be okay. And, and that took a tremendous amount of emails and phone calls and and Zoom calls, you know, we were doing Zoom calls every day of the week, almost felt like it, all day, you know, multiple teams around the country, um, and passing in that message to, to, to the different teams to, to tell them we were going to be okay. But then the other side, the business side, right, the clients, having that conversation that, that hopefully things were going to be okay and that the bank was going to be here for them uh, in, during the difficult times. And I tell you, PPP, um, regardless of the politics of PPP, it worked. Uh, the first round was incredibly uh, difficult to manage. We made a commitment to, to, to the market that we were going to play, and we did 100% of our clients and more got funding uh, on round one. That was incredible for, 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 for us to do. Uh, round two was easier in the sense that it was the volume was lower, but still uh, you needed to make sure that their, their business were getting their money. One thing that people don't talk about uh, on the CARES Act, you know, the approval of the PPP, there was a side to that that was also added, which was for any SBA loan that anyone had, uh, the federal government makes six months of payments, interest and principal, on behalf of the clients for free. So uh, people forget that, and then they added more in the second round. So I think some companies ended up getting like 11 payments, basically a full year of payments for free. They don't have to pay it back, nothing. It was just included, free meaning you know, for the company, of course. Some people will argue that it's taxpayers' money, but again, it was for the good of the economy. Uh, so that helped a lot, a lot of businesses to stay afloat, uh, to not to worry about, you know, making their bills, paying their bills. Um, in addition to many programs that were out there to to support companies, but but I tell you, those conversations were real, and uh, and companies didn't know what to do at some point. Are we going to have to lay off people? Are we going to have to shut our doors forever? Uh, uh, what's coming next? And uh, and uh, we were we were very good on communicating with our clients. I hope everyone did the same. I I feel like most banks um, try to do that uh, for the most part. Uh, but again, there were some like everything else. Some companies uh, ended up closing, unfortunately, uh, for multiple reasons. In our case, we didn't see many defaults. To be honest, we we were expecting more uh, hardship, if you will, than what we actually saw which is good news. I'm, I'm hoping that that's the same case for, for many of the uh, financial institutions out there because that would be a good sign for the economy. But I tell you, you know, the, the, the ones that you see a lot is the restaurants and those type of businesses that they really got hit harder uh, than others. Yeah, I was on a, a call with Governor Holcomb midpoint of last year, 2020, and he had a bunch of business owners and uh, Craig Hughes from St. Elmo's and um, Jim Dora from the hospital or hospitality hotel um, industry, and they, they definitely took a hit. But those guys are great operators, and they're they're recovering and getting back to normal. Probably still a challenge to find, you know, labor in the service market. I know that I've been in and out of restaurants where I've gone to to try to sit in and dining. They they they've closed up the dining rooms because they can't find labor. But again, I'm hopeful. I agree with you. I think those incentives were needed. Um, I would say that, you know, the incentives were, were timely. Uh, part two, you know, I, I might have a different viewpoint. I think they were necessary, but at the same time, man, I, I, I'm seeing some of the challenge that, that we're facing from it. But at the end of the day, 
it, it's all about supporting those that were, were, were essential to the workforce on the front lines. And that's what it's about. You know, we're kind of, we're taking a little bit of a hit on our end from, from a staffing standpoint, but at the end of the day, we support it. I was going to ask you, uh, remind me again, you've been in banking for how many years? Uh, in banking about 18 years now. Yeah. Yeah. I'm getting old. And you've been, you've been with a couple of banks. Were you, was it fifth third prior to this? Yeah, fifth there, and uh, prior to that, for for a small two years, I was with National City Bank, now PNC, and then at uh, fifth there, I was six, six, seven years there, and then here, eleven, eleven and a half years now. So you have a you have a unique perspective because you see all these different um, banks. You you have a lot of relationships with other competitors, and then you see your overall portfolio, and then Key Bank overall nationally is is such a massive bank. Do you think like right now with the economy? We have this kind of one pager that we've been playing in our heads about the freeway, like you're you're on onboarding onto a, a ramp to, to get on the freeway and the economy is the freeway. Are we on the freeway going 70 and are we like, or is it taking us some time? You said that, that, that we've accelerated. There's a lot of growth. Like how would you consider the current state? We're, we're in a really good spot. We're ramping up or all the supply chain has this really like backed up and we're, we're at 40 miles an hour getting ready to get on the ramp. What, what comes to your mind there? No, no, that's, that's, that's a funny way to think about it. I will say we're probably around 45, 50 miles an hour right now. Uh, the only reason I say that is because we, we don't have the full supply chain going yet. So, so you're starting to see some of that backlog taken care of, but, but you still seeing on the auto industry, for example, you know, they haven't been able to sell, uh, new cars because they couldn't get the chips that go on the trucks or whatever. So that is a bunch of cars sitting out there somewhere, um, brand new that haven't been able to put into the system yet. Um, things like that, right? Like computers. I mean, it's so hard to buy a computer today. And those are easy things that you will think you will buy for your kids for high school, for uh, elementary school anymore. You got to have almost like an iPad. Uh, so they cannot find them. And you think about the the the, the, the momentum that that will create in the consumer side, significant. You look at the housing market; it's almost impossible to find a house today that doesn't sell in 24 hours. Um, so, interest rates are so low that uh, they're allowing people to to maybe afford houses today that they couldn't before, and two, maybe stretch the payments a little more because you're going to have a lower payment with a rate so low. I mean, if you look today, they're under two and a half percent, two two point six percent. It's crazy what you can you can get for a mortgage today. Uh, but then at the end of the day, I think if you look, the politics have changed. And I think the country has, I mean, there's still a lot of work to do, but I think it's been the last six months, a little bit of like that uh, energy coming back to like, hey, now you can plan a little more. You can think about the future because the system is kind of set up in place to, for companies to be able to forecast. And that was in the last four years, it was getting harder and harder because of the issues with China and with uh, Russia and all of that. So I think now, they haven't been resolved by any means, but I think you're seeing an economy where companies are again starting to forecast, hey, where am I going to build a factory? Where am I going to go build the next thing? There seems to be a momentum of companies moving some of the jobs back to the United States, which will be helpful um, to, to get more of those high-end jobs here. But two, I believe the, uh, the infrastructure deal, because those are basic needs that we have as a country, you know, roads and bridges and airports and all of that. I mean, that's a 25, 30 year impact that people haven't felt yet. Uh, uh, and when we start seeing those are medium kind of paying jobs in the sense of 
it'll be six, some of them will be six figures, some of them will upper closer to the six figure number, which would be permanent jobs for a long time for people around the country. So I, I'm very optimistic. I tell you, uh, unless something crazy happens in the next, um, you know, three years in the world, uh, who knows? You know, I, there's some things you don't control, right? Climate change is an issue that we got to keep an eye on. But as an economy, I think we are at a good level to to accelerate and uh, hit your highway that you mentioned at a faster speed, you know, 65, 70, maybe even 75 uh, in 12 months. I like the optimism. So 45, 50 right now with a lot of good things on the back end infrastructure. That's a really good point. Thinking about that bill and the impact long term. I'm real. I'm bullish. I'm optimistic like you. Uh, I think the the 20s will be um, a decade of of growth. You know, we kind of go through these cycles every five to 10 years, just like we went through in, in eight and nine with the Great Recession and who who saw the the pandemic and the the impact. But you weather the storm, and it's been cool just knowing that you've been through a couple of these cycles and you learn a lot from those. You learn about a lot about yourself. Yeah, I mean, said keep in mind that this was a it was a pandemic, right? So it wasn't an economic crisis per se in the sense of 2007, 2008, when there was an issue with the banking industry because of the housing and all of that, that was almost like self-made. So there's a big difference between the two. And I think that's why you're seeing that recovery uh, being so much faster than, than it was back then. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, they, they were probably going 20 for a while on that on-ramp versus this is a pandemic. It wasn't fundamental to the economy. That makes a lot of sense. I'm curious, just like long term, you're kind of the mayor of Indianapolis, man. What what would be, you know, just being in your role, the future outlook with key and just like your aspirations for the city? Like what would what do you want to do long term in, in your position or how do you want to make more of an impact on the city? You you've got you've done a lot of great things, but you're you're just getting started, man. So give us give us a flavor of what's what's ahead. You you're so generous with words, so thank you for that, uh Seb. But uh, you know, so Key has been great to me, man. I, I've been extremely happy at this place. They've been giving me some great opportunities and a, and a lot of, uh, like you like to say, rub to, to pull uh, and the sky is the limit, right? So we have done some great work here locally. Uh, I still see myself making an impact here in Indianapolis for a while in this role uh, because uh, one of the challenges we have uh, in, in this industry and in many is growing talent and growing in many ways, diverse talent. And, and you know, look, I've been lucky, I've been fortunate, but I need to pay back. And I've been growing some of that and spending a lot of time uh, at the branches and with employees that are growing their careers and what they want to do next. Uh, and, and, and just giving them a little, little bit of opportunity, right? Like, hey, our Latino employees, what can we do in the Latino community that is different than what you're doing today? Besides just being successful with opening accounts and all of that, right? Let's go do... Let's participate in some of the community events and do the same. With the African-American, we're doing the same. With the Burmese community, we're starting to get going now. I actually have an exciting meeting with the director of the Burmese Association to start talking about how do we integrate KeyBank with them uh, in, in a powerful way. We're doing something with the uh, South Asian community these days, uh, which has been extremely, extremely important for us as a bank, but for the community. I mean, you're seeing a tremendous growth of Indian businesses in the community. Um, uh, in all levels, you know, healthcare, construction, uh, you name it, hotel industries, all of that. Um, so it, there's still, I, I want to uh, utilize my background to still help continue to grow Indianapolis and central Indiana to be that, that melting pot 
uh, like we should be and, and stop, stop talking about race and all of those issues. Ideally, my dream head, we should be talking about something else, right? Um, but at the same time in this city, uh, there is some challenges uh, as a city and uh, safety is one of those that we see on the news every day. And, and, uh, and you can tie it back to, 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 to simple things. I would say maybe not simple, but one is education. I, I think we, we need to figure out um, some of the education challenges that we still have as a society in this city. How do we get these kids uh, more opportunity to do more um, and not just think about what the, the next CEO of the company is going to be? There's so many opportunities. You run a staffing company. We should be talking all day long about some other uh, jobs that people should be thinking about that is not just becoming an athlete or becoming a CEO of a company. I mean, God, an electrician, um, any of those that, that are so needed today uh, that people can make a pretty good living on, uh, but the kids are not being exposed to those. So I, hopefully we can continue that conversation to, to help that. But the second part of this is uh, the issue with drugs and, and, uh, and the gangs that we're seeing in Indianapolis. Is uh, The complicated part of that is that, you know, it's, it's deeper than just, one neighborhood or two, uh, and it's connected around the Midwest and all the way throughout the country. So, uh, a little bit of uh, work on there is going to take it's going to take some effort. But I I hope the city does that. And then on the positive side, uh, I hope we start dreaming as a city. I, that's a challenge I think we have. We we don't have these big dreams like Carmel has or Westfield or Fishers, and and they've done a great job transforming their cities. I mean, you look at the city of Carmel. 20 years ago from what it is today, it's a whole different place. And it's a beautiful place and it's exciting. And I, I totally understand why people move there, right? I live in the city. I love the city. Uh, but we're not talking about what we're going to do next, right? What are we going to do with the monument? What are we going to do? What is the next big attraction for Indianapolis um, to bring more families into the city? Because there is so much to offer. Uh, so I, I hope we start having that conversation again. Um, but that that would be my my two cents. You know, I'm I'm not running for mayor. I'm staying at my at my job for now. I love what I do. Uh, but but we can influence, right? So people like you and I and some of our friends that are very involved in the community, we should be pushing this conversation to our elected officials. Uh, what are you gonna do next? I think the governor tends to have some really big ideas, and they have been able to deliver in on many of them. Um, and we have benefited certainly for some of those, but. I don't think you hear Indianapolis in the mix too much uh, in the last, I don't know, five, six years maybe, uh, when they're talking about some of these regional city monies and where are they going to fund. It seems to be going outside of Indy, and we need to be part of that mix uh, to, to make sure that the, the city, the capital of the state, uh, continues to grow the way it needs to be. Um, mass transit, for sure, my friend. Uh, I think I'm, I'm optimistic on what we're doing there, but we still have a long way to go to attract some of those younger professionals that that they don't want to buy a car i mean they don't want to you know they don't want to buy a house they don't want to drive at all so we got to be able to provide some of those services for sure i love it man it's really good kind of overall i call it holistic outline of what's ahead what's ahead for you i love that you're giving back to the community and you're thinking about lifting others up uh, especially those of, of of color and lifting other leaders up and thinking about different roles and opportunities. We did a podcast with uh, Ursal and he had some bold uh, visions for the city and why, you know, Indianapolis needs to think and, and come, become a little bit more aligned with some of those bold thinking um, visions that he was throwing out. And so it's interesting to hear kind of the same 
parallel as you. He's he's a um, obviously just an immigrant who came to pr- for Purdue University and his story of building a, a Keystone Construction and which which I really just I appreciate the bold thinking and uh, get, getting that same vibe from you. I think I think it's really fun to talk and mix it up with guys like yourself that not only have a, a role to lead a, a business, but you're thinking holistically. It's not just about uh, a bottom line balance sheet and, and PL profit. That makes sense. You got to get that right, but you also got to get the community and lifting others up. You talked about education and crime, and you do sound like you are a little bit of a politician. You you've got that knack. So if you're <laughs> if you're ever in that 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 game to to make a run, man, I I know some people that could help you. But um, tell me, just tell tell our listeners just a little bit. You know, you've got an interesting background. You're you're born and raised in Colombia. When did you come to the U.S.? Uh, give us a little bit of flavor. That's to me is just like that's a fascinating story. And how'd you get here? Give us give us some background there. Yeah, no, for sure. So so I've been in uh, in Indianapolis 22 years now. So I, I tell people that I'm a Hoosier, even though I pronounce it wrong. But um, I'm just excited to say I'm a Hoosier. Uh, I grew up in Colombia, as you say. I, I I was born in a small town. My dad was an executive uh, at the oil company, and in Colombia there were two cities that had a refinery, and the big refinery was the the hometown I grew up on by the river, in the middle of the country, a, a town called Barranca Bermeja, which is impossible to pronounce, um, but it was a town built by Americans, so it looked like a Texas kind of town, uh, you know, ranch ranch style homes, brick homes, no basement, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, so, but it was it was a great a great uh, uprising, if you will, because uh, you know, in many ways, we had access to so many opportunities uh, to to grow within in a country that had so much to offer. At the same time, that at some point we were exposed to a lot of some some of the social issues that Colombia had, uh, including you know the issues with drug cartels and guerrillas and and things like that, where we learned you know to to be careful with kidnappings and places that you could go and places that you couldn't go. Um, I had an uncle in politics, so you know I also was exposed to some of those things, uh, and, uh, and so it was fascinating growing, right? Exposed to so many things, with always having uh, my mom and dad giving back. I mean, that was like since we were little kids, we were going to to people that were less fortunate than we were to have meals and to help them, and to you know if we could help them with a job, my dad was able to to help a lot of families with that. Uh, which is priceless because they the 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 they do it you do it because you want to do it but you know the the people are so grateful to those little things that uh, that we take for granted sometimes so so that was perfect for for me growing up um, then I went to school in Bogota to a, a university called Universidad de los Andes uh, so you know I went from this small town to this big city massive city you know it's the capital of Colombia. At the time, might it be eight, eight, nine million people, um, busy traffic, you know, you name it, right? It's like it's like moving to New York uh, when you're 17, right? Uh, and so I go there. I do six months of uh, of my I study economics, and then when I finished my first semester, I was still 17. So I came to be uh, an exchange student because uh, you had to leave before you were 18, uh, and I went to a city called Amarillo, Texas. Um, uh, and live with an American family for 11 months, and that was awesome. Three, three, two brothers and a sister, and they were like 10, eight, and six. And uh, and so I was throwing to the ringer, part of the family, you know, doing duties, all of the stuff that you that you probably grew up doing that I wasn't doing much of. Uh, and it was so fun. And the first time I saw snow, 
uh, because I never seen it. So there was a little, it's, it's northern Texas, so there's a little bit of winter sometimes. So um, that was so fun to watch. And then went back to finish my, my undergrad, uh, worked for my, uh, for my uh, family business for a couple of years on the TV industry, believe it or not, uh, running a, a TV show, which is crazy that they let me do that, but, but that was fun. And then I always wanted to come to the United States to do a master's with the goal of going back to Colombia because uh, that was important to have a master's from a, an American university. And I was going to get back into politics. I was going to kind of like uh, get with my ankle and get back into that. Yeah, I always had that little bug in my ear. Uh, but as life goes, I come here. Well, IU, believe it or not, IU Bloomington recruits from the university I went to for their uh, international programs for the master's and all that. So I was supposed to go to IU Bloomington for six months of English before I started my MBA. Uh, but my older brother, I'm one of three brothers. My older brother was in St. Louis, Missouri. Uh, he met a family from Indianapolis uh, that ne didn't have kids and they wanted the experience of having an, an exchange student living in their house. So we talk over the phone and it makes sense. We knew Indianapolis because of the 500. So the connection of the 500 is kind of crazy. Uh, so I came to Indianapolis uh, to live with them and went for for six months of English at uh, what it used to be Marian College, now Marian University. That's where the English as a second language school used to be. Uh, applied for my MBA and uh, I, I look at uh, four schools, IU, Michigan State, uh, University of Chicago and Butler because somebody said you got to talk to Butler. And all I wanted was uh, an internationally accredited school. That, that I could go back home with that degree. So Boulder uh, was private, but for me, it was 50% cheaper than the other ones because I didn't have to pay out-of-state tuition or international student tuition. So, you know, I didn't have access to student loans. So Boulder was the choice. So I stayed in Boulder uh, in Indianapolis as life goes. Um, and then two years later, I'm graduating. I did a semester uh, at... Um, here working for uh, J.P. Morgan Chase at the time it was Bank One, as a, uh, as a, one of those uh, in internships that they do. They wanted an MBA student, so I was selected for it. So that's how I got into banking in this town, and then um, graduated. And a friend from the MBA that you know, Nolan Smith, was working at National City Bank. He was the first uh, uh, re recruit from Boulder, you will, from South Africa that they sponsor. Uh, so. Nolan is like, hey, man, you know, you want to come over here? And I went to work for them. And uh, uh, the rest is history. Colombia was going through a little turmoil. So um, nothing happened here, believe it or not. So life was good. And here I am, man, 22 years later. That's wild, man. I, I didn't know that Nolan was the uh, was part of the common connection with Butler. And I knew you did the MBA program. And I knew there was a little bit of a, you knew my uncle many years ago when when you were first, when you first moved in. So this was early 2000? Okay, so... 2000, yeah. I live at the United Nations house on 32nd and Washington. Do you remember that house? Yeah, I do, man. Uh, there was people from all over the world living there, yeah. including myself. Yeah, no, that, that's <laughs> neat, man. We're fortunate to have you, man, and I think you're doing some phenomenal stuff. We talked a little bit about the economy today and how we're, we're ramping back up and getting back in full speed. You talked about Indianapolis and the future and some of the dynamics around you know, what we can work on and what's working well. And um, I appreciate you sharing some of the background. You, you've done a really good job. You know, I, I just think about your role as a leader and this, this, this podcast, No Milk, No Sugar, and kind of cutting through the highlight film and kind of getting to the nitty gritty. 
Can you, can you think of a moment in your life where, man, you just like, you totally dropped the ball, fumbled, you, you made a mistake that, that this is a, this is a key moment. Maybe it's been in the last year with COVID or the pandemic. Can you give, can you give our, our, our listeners just kind of a flavor for, Hey, here, here's an example of like being in the president role. So you say earlier in the, in the podcast that uh, I manage Indiana for, for I know business and, and I do, and I think one of my uh, regrets said is that because of COVID, we couldn't travel. I wish I, I will have gone up north to South Bend a, a few more times throughout the process. Uh, not because I needed to be a, a renegade and be on my car by myself and take a break from being home, but more because I, I don't think I was supporting my team up north the same way. Uh, and, and, and I ended up losing a, a person this year that he got an opportunity for another community bank to go. And it wasn't money. It wasn't anything like that. He was just exhausted. And I think I take blame on uh, on a portion of that big time because as much as I thought I was supporting him, I wasn't there for him. And and in many ways, I I totally get it now that he was on a on a on an island by himself, trying to deal with PPP and life, and and his daughter was having a kid, and I mean all of this stuff that was going on, on on our lives, and he didn't have kind of like that support network that we have here because I have family and friends and and coworkers in Indianapolis. Um, so that to me, if, if I learn anything, man, is sometimes we take things for granted and, and, you know, we, we tell ourselves, oh, you talk to him all the time or whatever the, the issue is, right? We're doing a great job. You got to be there. I mean, you got to show up and you got to look him at, at the eyes or look her in the eyes. And I have this conversation in person sometimes, and I should have taken more risk, uh, because we could have done it without being silly, right? You could have sat outside in a park, you could have done whatever, wearing the mask, all of that, even during COVID. Um, so I I do regret not doing more uh, out there. I took it for granted. I stay here mostly, uh, like many people, uh, work from my basement, which, you know, it is what it is. Uh, but but being out there for people, uh, when you're leading a team, you got to be a leader for everyone, not just for a few. Uh, and that was a hard thing to swallow. Uh, but I wish him the best. I know he's doing well. We, we remain friends. But you know, as a leader, people usually leave you the leader, not the company. And um, and I, I I know, I know I felt him. So I tell you, man, that, that was a hard one. I never thought he was going to leave. And here we are talking about it uh, because it, it was a great learning experience for me as well. Now, thanks for being authentic, man. That's not easy to own up to. And uh, that's a good learning moment for me because, uh, you know, I've, I've been kind of remote you know, a lot of it's been virtual and I haven't been out to the offices uh, like I should uh, with, with our different branches, whether it's in Louisville or Dallas or their surrounding state. And uh, that's a good lesson for all leaders. I think as we're, there's this article that came out yeah, the other day, and I think it was the journal of the times about this great resignation and how there's a lot of talent moving around and um, they're burnt out from last year. And I'm actually writing an article uh, along with uh, Tori, she's helping me um, kind of co-create this article in the IBJ about this idea of we've got to re-recruit our team. We've, we've got to find a way to re-engage and build that um, engagement back, whether it's doing the fundamental things or being creative about it. you got to do both. And there's there's a lot of, I think, talent right now kind of looking around for, for what's ahead. So good thought there, man. I really appreciate that. that that's like a that's actually a good nugget for wisdom for us all, man. You've got a really cool, just like international background and your banking history. And 
being a, a community leader and all the boards that you serve on. Speaking of, you're talking about the Indy 500. You're on the Indy 500 board and you, you have that pace car every summer. I see you looking really good with the Camaro and the top down. So one of these days you're going to have to give me a, a ride and, and let me experience what it's like to be, um, what is, is it, is it, what is it? The 500 festival? What, what, what do you guys call it? It is. Yeah. The 500 festival board. Yeah. So that's, that's the organization that is in charge of uh, the parade and some educational programs and the princess program and all of that. So yeah, that is a fun two months. Uh, I mean, what a dream come true. Like, I mean, I used to watch the race on every year on a Sunday from Colombia. Never thought I was going to be living in Indianapolis. Never thought I was going to be driving a pace car. That is a very cool story, man. Well, again, man, thanks for, for sharing. We're, we're, uh, we're really fortunate to have you on the show. Keep crushing it and growing and doing what you're doing. You're having a ton of success and uh, I've just admire you from afar. It's been fun to watch and take notes and thanks again for making time. No, thank you, Seth. And thank you for doing this. And uh, yeah, anytime, my friend, keep doing the great work that you're doing. Uh, I'll see you around for sure soon. Sounds good, man. Thank you. All right. See you later. Why don't you kick off? Give me, give me something. Come on, Tori. I one of the things that uh, I well, one that I just thought was very sweet was I like how he talked about being very excited to be a Hoosier and having that impact in the community, um, especially like coming from his background in Colombia. Yeah, he's very much part of the community and he's a he's a bought in kind of Hoosier. So you got to appreciate that. Very similar to Ursal, just like with, you know, kind of loving the city, wanting to give back and not being from the hometown. We need more folks like that. That's why, you know, just I'm, I'm a little bit pro, you know, immigration, you want to get, you know, folks that are uh, entrepreneurial minded that want to give back and build and just do better for the overall community. So I like that. Another thing that really stuck out to me, you know, we were talking a little bit about the economy. He said, Hey, listen, we're not full speed, 70% on the freeway. We're, we're 45 to 50. There's some really good fundamental things going on. That was encouraging. Um, there's obviously some things that aren't great right now, like trying to find talent and hire. And it was encouraging to hear, here's his state. It's really healthy. The economy's growing. We're going to be at 70 miles an hour buzzing down the highway in a short period of time. So that, that, that was good to hear. I know that was really interesting to kind of hear, um, you know, kind of the scope of the economy from someone with his perspective. I mean, have you, have you noticed, you know, in your role as president and CEO, have you noticed any of the changes that he was kind of talking about or anything coming down the line? You know, I think being in the service industry, we haven't seen it as, you know, if we're like a, a tech company or we're in fulfillment and everyone was ordering online and there was a lot of growth that way or in construction, we haven't seen that. I feel like we're a little bit lumped into that service industry. I wouldn't say we're hotel hospitality and like restaurants. I think they got it hit really, really hard. I think we're kind of a little bit ahead of them, but I don't know. I, I feel it buzzing back up. We'll see. I think the back half of this year get a little bit hotter uh, with like demand and orders. We have demand. It's just hard to find the supply. And so I think the supply is just trying to catch up and it takes a little bit of time. So, well, talking about, um, you know, I know you always like to ask the question of like, tell us about a time where you had a swing and a miss. What did you think about that story? It was wonderful. I think it was spot on. It was probably one of the better oh shit moments. He realized he 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 left one of his leaders behind and he got comfortable, you know, in kind of a virtual remote work mode and he didn't make the time to go see that other leader up in uh, northern Indiana and he regrets that. And man, it's not easy when talent leaves like that. And so I I appreciated him being vulnerable and 
I think it was a good lesson for us all because we can get, we can get really like kind of status quo with, with how we lead people. And so good reminder. It also reminded me of, um, I think that's just a good takeaway that we've seen from a, several of our guests, like inc- including uh, Kristen Corbett and how she was talking about with her succession planning and how she wished she had done that a little bit better because they kind of left their CEO a little out to dry in that kind of plan. So I think it's always interesting to um, hear about kind of, you know, making sure that you're always connecting with your people and knowing where they want to go, go and grow down the line. Yeah, it's really interesting. Like, I think we could probably take nuggets from from all the guests of like, I, I think Scott Moorhead said that don't hire just based on the resume or, or Saul was like, he was talking about like culture and values really matter. Uh, not having a great resume early on is what he was kind of hook, line and sinker. Um, he was, he was catching a lot of talent that way. And so I think there's probably going to be some themes that we pull out and Juan's is kind of a, a similar theme about just doing the fundamentals, right? Like making time and getting uncomfortable. You know, the other thing that I, I really enjoyed hearing him say is, you know, I asked him about being a, a market leader for a bank and automatically he kind of went into the community and lifting others up and, um, this whole idea of what happened in the summer with racial reconciliation and just the racial injustices. And he talked about, Hey, this is a, this is not just a a moment. This is a movement. And he wanted to find better ways to be an advocate for other, other folks of minority backgrounds. And I like that about Juan cause that's where he goes. He, he's all about trying to get people to step up. And I've been a little bit behind Juan as a, as a leader and it's been fun to see him lead the way. And then I try to emulate some of the things that I like. And um, I think he's just continuing to do good for the city and grateful for that. Which I think, I mean, just goes to show kind of like, I mean, it is progress is slow, but I mean, it chugs forward and it is interesting to see kind of like this real life impact of, you know, over the past couple of decades, we've had so many more minority um professionals take leadership positions and like we're kind of seeing those effects of it now and I'm interested to see how that continues in the future. Thanks for tuning into another episode of No Milk No Sugar, the podcast about business beneath the sweetener. We hope you learned something and we'd love to hear from you. Tag us with hashtag no milk no sugar or email us at no milk no sugar pod at gmail.com or connect with Seth on LinkedIn. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and we'll see you next time.